Welcome back, world. Jay's World rolls on with four spectacular guests from my university. We have the head softball coach, Natalie Poole. Coach, how are you doing today? I'm doing well. Thank you for joining us. We also have from Memphis, a sports anchor and reporter, Cassie Carlson. How are you, Miss Carlson? I'm good, Jay. How are you? Doing great. She's from WMC5, a great station out of Memphis. We also have another sports anchor reporter. Her name is Haley Sutton, Sutton as in Button, out of WSFA, Montgomery, Alabama. How are you, Miss Sutton? I'm good. Thanks for having me. I'm excited to get to chat. Man, thank you for joining us. And last but not least, one of my favorite people who I've never met, but I see her. She is my uh, friend from the University of Oklahoma. It actually is Oklahoma University, isn't it? The University of Oklahoma. University of Oklahoma. She should know that because she deals with athletic communications. And her name is Ann Marcelli. Ann, how are you today? I'm great. Thank you so much for having me. Ladies, thank you for joining me. You know, I'm all about women empowerment. And that's why you're here today to talk about women in sports. And, you know, I think it's an industry where obviously it's male dominated, no matter what specific industry we're talking about but you ladies are making waves. I'm going to start with you, Coach. Assuming that you are in love with softball, tell us when the love affair with softball actually began. Actually began at a really young age. Um, me and my sister, we both played it competitively. Uh, well, all three of us did, but me and my youngest, we always came up in the same age group. And when we were doing it, we just found that we had some talent there and um, also just kind of had an understanding that to make our way into college, we had three girls that were all within pretty close age group that we would have to help our parents be able to afford that. And so we just kind of made a commitment like, hey, you know, we're going to do this and let's do it right and let's take care of our schoolwork and let's do well in softball and let's create an opportunity for ourselves to be able to go to college. And we both did. Um, and so just kind of just growing up, just fell in love with that sport. I also enjoyed volleyball very much, but softball paid the way for an opportunity in college to be able to play a sport that I loved and also to get an education, um, which was invaluable and definitely made a difference in what I do today. And tell us about your journey to where you are now. Yeah, I kind of got my start also playing sports growing up. I played volleyball and I ran track. Um, I have two younger brothers and I think between the three of us we played like eight or nine different sports so there's always something in my house. Um, I grew up in New Mexico going to just all kinds of different you know sporting events at University of New Mexico because we didn't have a whole lot of pro sports around where I'm from but at some point in my life I put together that I loved sports and I loved writing and wanting, wanted to do something that combined those two things. So I kind of got my start um, in journalism. When I was a senior in high school, I interned at my local newspaper, the Rio Rancho Observer. Shout out to Gary Heron, the sports editor there, if he's listening. Uh, gave me every opportunity to write, to take photos, to lay out pages, um, and just kind of learn the trade. And so kind of went from there and went to college and learned a little bit more about public relations and a little bit more of the creative side of uh, communication and just kind of stuck with it. And I've been working at OU in the communications department ever since. Now, for anyone that's listening to Jay's World for the first time and you don't know much about me, I am a career sports anchor. I've anchored at TV stations all across the country. So sports is my first love. And part of that desire and that love started because I was an athlete. I played a little football and basketball in high school. I played some baseball and basketball at the college level. So for me, I felt it was a natural transition from being in, uh, on the field to being someone who still covered sports and I was close to the game. Tell us your story, Miss um, Sutton, in terms of becoming a sports anchor reporter. 
Yeah, I'm kind of in the same boat. I grew up playing soccer and I know both of my parents were really disappointed. They were basketball lovers um, and none of my siblings were good at basketball. Um, so I just grew up playing soccer, went to college playing soccer. Um, I graduated, I changed my major probably like seven times. I started as an art major. I failed out of art school because it was hard. Um, so I kind of just had to keep changing my major until probably my junior year and my coach was like, you have to stop changing your major or you're gonna be ineligible. Um, so I ended up with a general kinesiology degree, which was cool, it was exercise science, but it wasn't anything that I was really passionate about. Um, I had an extra year of eligibility for soccer, and so I grad transferred to the University of North Texas, but obviously you have to declare a major, and here I am like 21 years old, still not knowing what I wanna do. And I remember sitting at my parents' coffee table and talking about what I was gonna do with this grad degree, and my dad said, you're good at talking where can you find a job that's good at talking and so I kind of just fell into journalism I applied for the program at North Texas and um, kind of like you it was a natural progression of going from being the athlete to talking to athletes I think just the reason why I chose journalism and sports in particular is I think a lot of times people forget that athletes are people. And I remember going through those same progressions as an athlete and people just thinking, you know, more so of like football players and basketball players, but more so of them just being these people who make money for the university. And so I love being able to remind people that athletes are people too. And I really got a good opportunity without my first job in Great Falls, Montana, because that's all there was, was high school sports and getting to tell those cool stories. Um, so now I'm in Montgomery, Alabama. I'm covering some bigger schools and some bigger stuff, but I think still my favorite part is just getting to know these kids and getting to share their stories and I guess kind of living vicariously, continuously through them. Awesome. Cassie, tell us about your passion. Where did it come from? Like everyone else, I too played competitive sports growing up I really played soccer and then made the switch to club volleyball in high school and uh, kind of a last-minute decision not to play in college but I, I grew up in Chicago which is a huge sports town uh, I mean I feel like every weekend if I wasn't at a tournament I was on the couch with my dad watching the Bears and or the Hawks during their dynasty years and I would always see the the female reporters on the sidelines and what Haley was talking about making these athletes who are these mega stars in this big city feel like you know them. And I was like, if I could do that and be around sports my entire life, like I would feel extremely lucky. And so I went to the University of Illinois and got involved in a sports reporting class right off the bat. And they just said, go out and go find a feature story. And I was like, well, I don't know what I'm doing. Um, but I found a really good story of a volleyball player uh, and it had nothing to do with who she was as a player. Um, she was adopted by a teacher growing up and who turned into her volleyball coach. and. Finding that story, like I was just, I knew I was sold on this profession and making it a career because um, it's creative. I'm naturally a very competitive person. It's very competitive. And um, it's just taken me all around the world too, which is even more incredible. I got my first job in Lubbock, Texas and covered Texas Tech for two years and got to do some incredible things in Lubbock with basketball, making it to the national championship game, uh, football, Cliff Kingsbury getting fired, uh, just a mega star, and uh, baseball going to the College World Series too. And then um, I came here in February, and now I'm in Memphis covering the Grizzlies and the Tigers and uh, 901 FC and everything else in, in this cool town. So for those of you at home who can't see my smile, I'm smiling big because she said basically it's given her opportunities to see some things that maybe she wouldn't have seen if she didn't play sports. That's my testimony. Coach, let me ask you this. 
What has softball introduced you to from the perspective of, of being a head coach? What has this sport introduced you to? Just the opportunity to develop leaders um, or people that are going to become leaders. Um, I've just always had a keen interest in the development of um, them as human beings. I think just kind of where they're going to go in life and ultimately after playing ball, they may have some small opportunities professionally, but in the end, they're going to become, you know, part of a relationship. They're going to become mothers. They're going to become professional people and then in their community. And so for me, leadership development has always been something that I have had an interest in. And so I take for 10 weeks every fall, I take all of my newcomers through a book by a sports psychologist that just kind of develops leaders. Um, we walk through that and just kind of grow them as individuals. And then also my, um, my PhD is in, um, you know, higher administration, but my, my dissertation was in um, basically leadership identity development and female student athletes competing at a division one level and the influence of that um, environment and what that can do for their growth. Haley, in terms of being a female sports anchor, I don't know how many male and females are at your station, but what do you see the numbers looking like in terms of sports journalism? Ooh, I, from my experience, what I've seen is that most, I've seen a lot of women reporters. I mean, here in Montgomery, one of my best friends is the competitor station. Her name is Madison and she um, does sports, um, but kind of like my station, her sports director is a male. And I think a lot of times that's what I see is the sports director is a male and then your reporters are the ones that are females. I mean, there's, you know, there's a couple, I know there's a lady in Florida, her name is Allison Posey and she's a sports director. And I have a couple of friends who are also sports directors. I joined this profession in a really critical time, right? Because it's the age of black people finally speaking up and demanding more and black women demanding more and women in general, just demanding more of everybody to respect us. So I think I joined at a really pivotal time because now you're seeing a lot more women stepping up and saying, oh, hey, I can go toe to toe with such and such and ask Nick Saban a question in the press conference without feeling like I'm gonna be belittled. Or, you know, I can talk to Dabo Sweeney or whoever it is, you know, and ask these questions and be regarded as knowledgeable and not just as a pretty face. I mean, you still have the people who are oh, you just got this job because you're pretty, when in reality, like I can sit you down and we can watch football and I can walk you through the routes just like all the other boys, you know what I mean? So, Cassie, why are the numbers not equal in terms of that representation? I think there's a couple things. One, I think there's a lot of sports directors, male sports directors who have been around for a long time. So naturally that is the next progression in their career. Um, but I also think there's a stigma around women in sports and especially in sports reporting that we don't know what we're talking about. And so to have them lead a department might be terrifying for some people. Um, I even find it shocking when I interviewed for a job and there was already a female reporter in the sports department and they were gonna add a second. And I was even kind of taken aback, like, are you really gonna have two female reporters in your sports department? Like that to me, I feel like is not, you don't see that very often. So I don't, I don't know why. And I think it's, it's kind of changing. I do have a couple of friends that are sports directors, but it is not common. Um, and I, if I had to pinpoint one thing, it would probably be because people don't think women know the male sports as much as um, the men do. When a lot of these men have not played the sports do. Absolutely. <laughs> That's my favorite part. <laughs> yeah, like play-by-play -play people, they're usually have never played the sport. 
Uh, or a sport, period. <laughs> period. And what's the makeup of the male-female ratio in your athletic communications department? My office is mostly male. Um, as far as our full-time staff goes, it's just me and one other female um, full-time staffer. We typically have around 10 interns. Right now, because of COVID, we're not able to have our student workers. Um, but typically with our student interns, we've had a, a larger group of females um, who have wanted to get into athletics, get into the communication side. Um, but as far as our full-time staff, we've really, for the most part, just been around two or three females at a time, I would say. In terms of journalist, um, Anne, staying with you, do you have more men to cover Oklahoma or more women to cover Oklahoma? I would say definitely, definitely more men. Um, I would say yeah, more men on the, on the print side um, and a few more women. I would say as far as students go, like it's like a generational thing almost. You know, our student newspapers and then our students, um, TV shows and different broadcast entities that we have here at OU on campus, those are largely female. And so I think it's, it's so cool to see, you know, up and coming journalists, younger women who are wanting to get into this field and having more of those opportunities. But I would say that some of the more established um, and especially like the print journalism group is mostly male. But I would say that, you know, the future is, is coming and, you know, it's, it's so cool to see these women, um, you know, who are in college looking at these opportunities and looking to break into this field. I'm a judge, I'm a national judge for an organization that looks at college newscasts across the country. And Oklahoma always finishes top two, top three. Every single year I judge, I'll be judging this uh, upcoming season, which starts in December. And I'm sure some of those young, bright students uh, are going to win some awards as they do year in and year out. Coach, let's go to your industry and ask you, climbing the ladder, was it more difficult as a female trying to be a head coach? Um, I think it depends. I, I will say this, you know, sometimes men come off stronger. They know how to sell themselves really well. And, and I would say that that's just naturally the environment. I've, I've heard that a lot, you know, people talk about that a lot, like even in like master's programs and things like that, you know, um, guys sit up front, they're alert, they kind of know how to, they're just kind of trained in how they sell themselves. And I think that sometimes women um, are a bit more humble when it comes to that. And, um, and so I think that for us, like, I think one of the, the main things that we have to do is find ways to be able to sell our product because we're good, we're informed, we're intelligent people and that kind of thing. For me, I got into the profession really young. Um, you know, I was picked over my first job for a, for a male who was married and had a child on the way and they saw stability rather than a young female who was looking to start her way in the profession. And, and um, and, and that I think sometimes happens, but, um, but I was lucky enough to be able to start my career at 25 and then stayed there for seven years. My next job, I went back to my alma mater for three years as their head coach. And just by doing well, it created an opportunity. I think sometimes they are looking for equity in our profession and in athletic departments. And that does help um, because I think that sometimes that does matter. Um, sometimes it's a cultural thing. They're looking for a difference in a culture that was there previously um, from what was created by someone. Um, but it can be difficult. I've had a, an associate head coach underneath me for the past um, 10, 11, 12, like 14 years. 
um, and we work pretty well together and hand in hand and I'm not, I don't have any issues with that. Um, I enjoy working around, around, you know, male um, counterparts and stuff like that. I think it's how you approach it, but I've just been lucky that I haven't had to come in across that, but I know that um, there are people that have. And so um, I think we just as women just need to do a better job sometimes of selling who we are and what we have to offer because we do have a lot to offer. I'm gonna go back to my sports anchors here shortly, but Ann, let me ask you this. How do you feel about female referees, female coaches in the NBA, female coaches at the college level that are getting opportunities that might inspire another young lady to you know, go and get hers? Yeah, I love it. I am like the biggest Becky Hammond fan, like from the time she was playing in the Mountain West. Like, I think it's so awesome to see and it's just a testament to, you have to hire the best person for the job. You have to hire the person who's the most knowledgeable. It doesn't matter where they come from, what they look like, anything. Like if they're the most knowledgeable person, they absolutely deserve that job. And it's so great to see, you know, across sports and it's happening in every sport now. When you look at, you know, the Marlins, and their new GM and just how much they hyped that up was awesome. From a creative content standpoint, I loved that, but also just from what it was, how much the Marlins and how much the MLB put into that to say, you know, to, to showcase what she's done. Um, I think it's just, this time is so important for young girls to see there's so many great role models in, in every sport now. Um, so I absolutely love it. I think it's so great that it's becoming a more and more common thing. I was really hoping that Becky Hammond would be the new uh, head coach of the Oklahoma City Thunder, but there's still still hope for her someday become a head coach here in the near future. But yeah, I think it's it's so great to see it across every sport now. One of my favorite people on the planet is Doris Burke, and I think she does such an amazing job. I think she just talks circles around men who think they know basketball and yet if you look you read the comments there's always some negativity that i feel like doesn't belong cassie how do you handle trolls in the sense of a female shouldn't be covering this i don't know what your inbox looks like or your social media feed for that matter but i'm sure you've experienced what we talked about a little while ago what we touched on you know men thinking you all can't play the part yeah, and I've experienced that more. I'd say I've done some radio things, and I, I get it more on the radio side than the TV side. I don't know why. Well, I can guess why. That it's more middle-aged men that are listening to radio, and that's who you're trying to appeal to. Um, but they do they do scream louder than all the nice comments you get. What I find is that if you're prepared and you feel like you have all the information you need, and it's all correct. Like that's where my confidence comes from. I was waiting to do a live shot in the middle of the of my show on just on Friday night and an older man came up to me and he said, oh, you talk sports? And I said, yeah, I'm the sports reporter for Channel 5. And he was like, okay, um, we'd love to see pretty faces on the TV. And it's more of like those kind of comments that fester with me because even I'll, I'll do like a story and I really like it, our anchor on the weekend and I really like like the story I did, let's say, and someone goes, oh, I love that you were wearing like that dress or whatever. I'm like, well, did you listen to what my story was about this awesome kid that is like doing this incredible thing? That's the stuff that gets me more because I put so much into my work and could care less about what I look like um, that that's what kind of makes me angry. And those comments stick with me more than the negative comments. Um, 
but yeah, and, and going back to the guy on Friday night, he was started talking to me about the NBA draft and he was like, oh, James Wiseman, he was selected third overall. I'm like, well, no, he wasn't. He was second. But um, if you think you know sports better than me, go for it. <laughs> Haley, have you had men try to pop quiz you on sports? I have. And um, I actually just um, was on the Galvanized podcast with a couple of my Galvanized sisters. Um, and I got the chance to speak with Lindsay Go who works in Savannah, Georgia. And something that she said stuck with me and it is now my life motto. She said, I get paid to talk about sports on TV. I'm not gonna sit here and talk to you about it for free. And I love that because you, it, she's exactly right. You know, I don't have to hand you my resume to be qualified for this job. I mean, obviously I got the job, so that should be proof in itself. You know what I mean? Like. Sometimes they hire a Joe Smo to take the position, but for the most part, like we've talked about, this is such a competitive field. And I agree with Cassie. It's so insulting to, um, you know, pour your heart and soul into these stories. I just did a story about a month ago about um, a kid with autism who is a part of the football team and he scored his first touchdown and it was incredible and it was a moving piece. And, you know, I did some really great things creatively with it. And 90% of the comments were, wow, your hair looks so great, or oh, you're so beautiful. And I'm like, did you listen to the story about Ran and how much he's had to overcome to get on this football field? And so I agree with Cassie, it's really infuriating, but something that I've really grown to appreciate about myself in my adulthood is knowing that it's okay to clap back. I think a lot of times, um, like what Natalie was talking about earlier, women were a little bit more reserved in how we carry ourselves, and we shouldn't have to. And I'm not gonna say that I'm gonna, you know, curse you out on a before a live shot but I mean if you're going to quiz me or if you're going to try and say something to try and get under my skin we'll be prepared to get some sass back and I think that that's been a really important part of my development as a sports reporter is that that's my confidence is knowing that if you're going to come at me with some energy like be prepared to know that Haley's also going to come back with some energy and it's not anything negative but I think it's just that gentle reminder of saying like hey you know we belong in this room. We belong at the table with all of you. And I, I shouldn't have to validate myself to, you know, be considered a part of the table. You're listening to Jay's World Podcast. The show will continue in a moment. Jay's World is brought to you by 5G Media and Gilmore Financial Services. Do you need your taxes done? Contact GFS at Gilmore Financial Services at Comcast.net. And do... Uh... Do any of your women's basketball players um, run pickup with men? Um, yes, and then we we also have a few male practice players um, and managers. Um, so it's you know it's just a super competitive environment. Like I would say that our team is very competitive, especially with the managers. I mean they're all, all really close and have worked together for a long enough time that you know they're just going to go at it when they're on the floor. The reason I'm asking in relationship to the sports anchors who are being popped quiz because men think they know more. I grew up in Nashville, Tennessee and Pat Summit and UT women's basketball and I took a recruiting visit in 1996. And um, their current head coach, Kelly Jolly, their current women's head basketball coach, ran pickup with us. Yeah. <laughs> and a couple of other women from that national championship team. And they were by far the best people on the court. Not the best girls, not the best women. They were the best people out of the 10 people on the floor. 
they were the best. And it's funny because we don't have any athletes. We don't have any WNBA athletes on our podcast right now. But if I had a WNBA player, I would ask them how they feel about dudes who actually call them out and think that they can play at that level when one-on-one, if you grab a young lady from the Atlanta, I forget the name of the team in Atlanta. Um, I just want to blank. A WNBA professional will beat a man, any man that's probably not in the NBA. There's some persons on Twitter just talking crazy. That 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 dude has no chance. Um, I can tell you, I'm working with uh, two, actually three former WNBA players on our staff here at OU right now. And you do not want any of them one-on-one. You don't want them three on three. You do not want to be on a court with Courtney Paris, Jackie Styles, and Amanda Thompson. Not at all. <laughs> not at all. Coach, um, I think that softball, and I, and I could be wrong, but I think that softball is in a good place where in terms of women's head coaches, I've seen some men head coaches in, so, in softball across the country, but I've seen a lot of female head coaches. Um, what do you think other sports across the board have to do from the university level to be consistent in their hiring so women have opportunities? Um, you know, I think it's, if you look back, um, and I don't remember the statistic, but there was a time whenever 80% of coaches were female. And then slowly it went on the decline. And part of that was, you know, people having to, you know, manage families and, you know, things like that. And maybe just the dynamics of how coaching has changed. But I think that there was definitely a decline in the percentage of uh, female coaches. And that might be for female sports, not 100%, like all of that, um, all of those statistics. Um, But I can definitely say this is like, you know, I think that um, that's changing. Uh, I think in the end, I think you just have to, um, there has to be interest in the level of coaching. There has to be interest. That's one of the fun, you know, more fun things that I think that I love about it is seeing like my coaching tree grow from kids who've played for me, who've gone on to coach and just kind of seeing that because clearly they see something about our profession and just wanting to be a part of the sport, whether, you know, like for you guys, you found journalism as the way, um, communications as the way, um, you know, for others, it's teaching the game and the skills of the game and, you know, developing young ladies from that perspective. But I think it's just, just kind of giving people opportunities that they enjoy and that they want to still be a part of the sport in some way and sharing that. And I think if you continue to grow that, there's enough professional opportunities and people who are doing well enough that they, those people can give back to the sport. For sure. and, um, and so, you know, I know for me, like I, I volunteer opportunities to be volunteer coaches has paved the way of the all of my volunteers have gone on to get professional hiring jobs and that kind of thing. And so I think people have to be hungry and they've got to go pursue some stuff. And sometimes it has to be at their own expense and they got to grind it out for much of nothing for a while. But that's just part of it. And hopefully those opportunities will come. Let's get personal. Shout out to all the journalists. Yeah. <laughs> or we can all relate to that. Yeah. <laughs> hey, listen, my first job was a GA. And I think I made $5,000 for the year and I had no health insurance. I was praying to God every day, like, please let me stay healthy. Please let me stay healthy. 
And I never ended up having to go to the doctor until I got my first <laughs> full-time job and I started Amen. making money. I was like, I made it. Like, uh, <laughs> and so it is, it's, the grind is hard. And I do think that there's some kids who don't want to do the grind. And so, and I think they don't want to take those steps sometimes. And so it's just necessary. I've got a volunteer right now who has to work from eight o'clock till lunchtime. And then she hustles into the office and she's up every day at four o'clock and going to work at a fitness place so that she can be off by lunch, that she can come to my job and she can assist kids, however, and we're practicing till the evening time. And, you know, and that's the kind of hustle that has to happen. And you know, sometimes I don't think people are just real interested in that, but that's just part of it. And then the opportunities will come. If you do a good job where you're at, you can just empty into the place that you're at. Then opportunities will come along and people will speak on your behalf, you know. And what's the grind like in athletic communications? And I didn't, I, I'd argue the grind doesn't care if you're male or female in athletic communications. Yeah, I would agree. The, the grind doesn't care. I mean, Really in this field, most people start as student workers unpaid. That's what I did, you know, just kind of helping wherever I could. And I know that the people who have been most successful that I've known in this field have started as students and have just taken every opportunity saying, I will work every single game on your basketball schedule. I will work every softball game. But just getting those opportunities, because especially in communications, it's so broad. I mean, we do so much from some days it's statistics, some days you're traveling with a team, some days you're posting a game, some days it's graphic design. And so really I would say in communications, the people that are gonna be successful are the people that wanna dabble in a little bit of everything and learn every tool that they can and take every opportunity to learn, you know, every sport is different even, um, to learn those different sports and kind of what it takes to be an SID for those sports. But yeah, the grind is real. The hours are a little wonky sometimes, a lot of nights, a lot of weekends, um, but just, you know, grinding through those and getting the experience, it's, it's everything and it'll take you really far. And I mean, I tell, I work with a lot of students, like I said, and just kind of tell them what my mentor told me as a student was what you will get out of this is what you put in. So if you put in the effort, you're going to get great things out of it. If it's just kind of a, oh, okay, like it's a cool thing. I'm, I'm working with athletes. Like you, you're not going to get as much out of it. Um, so that's, that's like my favorite. Oh, sorry. Go ahead. I didn't oh, cut ahead, you off. Good. I was just going to say, that's like my favorite part of this industry is getting to meet students and kind of their reaction to, oh, wait, you don't have a hairdresser or, oh, wait, you have to shoot your own stuff. Or like I went to the Auburn game on Saturday and I, I just recently bought a wagon for all my gear because the last time I went to Auburn, I had to carry it. And it was miserable. And I just remember the ticket lady going through the gate. She was like, where's your camera guy? And I was like, Hey, it's me, <laughs> your camera guy. And it's, I think that that's so interesting that like all throughout sports, people think it's just like this glamorous business where we show up on set and, you know, we just talk, but it's like, that's probably 15% of my job is talking about the sports. Everything else is getting there, writing it, shooting it, putting it together. And then finally the presentation aspect of it. So I think that's interesting that, you also deal with that in communications too. Yeah, and I would say, I think something people, some a lot of people don't know we actually exist because we are like so far behind the scenes. Like it's so funny to me to be on this podcast because usually I'm the one like setting up the interview and then I'm like, all right, I'm gonna step <laughs> out of the way. You're not gonna see me again. <laughs> but we're like, we're super, you know, behind the scenes. Like everything that we do happens without people seeing or knowing what we're doing. Um, and I think, you know, you kind of have to know that going into it, that it's not a job with 
you know, the gratification or like the, the glam that you might think it has. It's, it's so rewarding, especially for me working with student athletes, um, you know, and kind of getting to be a mentor in some ways and also working with students and getting to teach them. It's so gratifying, but it's so like, it's so behind the scenes. It's so out of the way that a lot of people don't know, you know, quite the scope of what we do. Um, and it's just, yeah, like I said, there's just so much to it. So let's get personal, Cassie. You ready to talk personal? Oh, bring it on. <laughs> so, you know, Natalie mentioned this to a degree. She mentioned family life. Mm -hmm. And I talked to some meteorologists here in Nashville about this. And it always, it always is on my radar. And I don't know anybody's personal situation here with boyfriends or things like that. But in terms of being women, how do we consider the right time to have a child? Am I going to lose my spot? Am I going to, can I afford to take nine months? I don't know if it's nine, however, however much time a pregnancy takes and, and the childbirth and all that stuff. <laughs> I know that the, the actual pregnancy is nine months, but just taking time <laughs> off and just, just, you know, can I get bigger? You know, I'm going, my belly's going to grow. What are your thought processes about that? I want everyone to speak to this because all four of you are women and we all have to deal with managers. I don't know if there's a fear of going to the manager saying, hey, I want to do this or just walk me through your process to this point with that situation, Ms. Carlson. Let me first preface with, I am not at that stage of my life yet. Um, I know, my heart's like beating. I know, about like, that. I'm probably the only one here old enough to even have experienced this at this point, but I talk to a lot of young women who ask me that question because they're scared. And, and usually just in my profession, but um, please, you guys, please share. And I'd be happy to share when it gets to my I think the one thing that I've noticed, one, I don't think you see pregnant women on TV very often in sports. Um, and one recently that has, um, been very vocal about her pregnancy is Molly McGrath. She's a sideline reporter and she posted a picture essentially uh, and her belly was showing and some troll made a comment about it and um, kind of turned into this whole movement of like, we're women, we're stronger than you guys anyway, whatever sort of thing. Um, but I think, and from what I've heard, I listened to a podcast she's on every week and there, like from her perspective, there was a lot of fear of going to the managers and them maybe pulling her off of assignments or saying, uh, I don't know, we don't want you on TV essentially well, if you're pregnant. But she said she actually had the opposite experience where they have been super supportive. I think like personal life in general in this business is very hard to balance. I mean, I work every weekend. I think I've had maybe three week weekends off since I was a junior in college. Um, and sometimes a guy might be like, well, why do you have to work the weekends? I'm like, well, one, I love my job. And it's just, it just comes with the territory, like accept it or don't. But um, so personal life and work-life balance, I am not the person to ask about. I feel like I work all the time. And sometimes I'm like, I don't have any days off. I don't even know like what I would do if I had a day off. That's so, I don't know. I probably do not have the best perspective on this, which means I should probably get in check with my work-life balance. <laughs> <laughs> Ailey, how will you approach it when the time comes? Oh man, kids scare the hell out of me. Um, <laughs> I feel like it's definitely a conversation to have with management, but also I would also be terrified because I've seen so many horror stories of women, you know, 
getting pregnant, trying to plan their life and, you know, somehow management finds a way to push them out the door. And so um, I think that it's, it's almost part of the reason why I'm so reserved to have kids because I love what I do. You know, I don't mind working on the weekends because one, when you go to the grocery store on Mondays, there's no one there. Um, but also like, it's fun, you know, my job is fun. And um, I think right now my bigger struggle is having a relationship. Uh, my boyfriend's actually visiting now, which is really nice, but we've been doing long distance for the last three years. He lives in Minnesota and I have lived all over the place. So um, that's kind of my focus right now is just kind of figuring out how um, he is trying to get into the NFL. So obviously those are two different beasts, but I think it's, you know, it's, it's really tricky as he walks in the door as I'm talking about him, <laughs> but it's really, you know, I think that's my focus is just figuring out how to um, make a relationship work when you're in this profession. I think a lot of times you have to make sacrifices because, you know, well, I would, I would love to do this with you, but the iron bowl is this weekend. So I will be busy all week. Um, so I think it just comes down to, at least from a relationship perspective, I can't talk about kids, but from a I have dogs, if that counts. Um, but from a relationship standpoint, it's more so just about the communication um, and kind of, we have a mutual understanding of, you know, this is kind of where I'm at right now. I'm in a stage in my career where this is probably the last point where I have to go where someone tells me to be. I think when my contract's up here, I'll have the flexibility to kind of choose where I want to go. So it's just a matter of us just kind of figuring out ways that work for us to make a relationship work. And I assume it's the same with kids in a sense of, but I'm going to leave that to Natalie to talk about because I have no idea. I'm going to come to coach Nat here in a second, but first I want to ask Anne a two part question in terms of this same topic, how will you approach it? Number one. And number two, do you have to look at a freaking athletic calendar and plan around volleyball and basketball? <laughs> Yeah, uh, pretty much. Um, <laughs> yeah, like I mean, I said earlier, our schedules are, are crazy and every SID is different. Like I work with women's basketball right now and then both our men's and women's tennis teams. But in the past, I work with volleyball and softball and so a little bit of everything. But yeah, I mean, the, the schedule of when your team is playing and when you're traveling, you know, it's not just the games. It's like, hey, day before, we're going to hit the road at this time and then be gone until the night after the game. You know, it's when you're in season, you're in season just as much as the athletes that are on the floor and the coaching staff. Um, so I would say that definitely, you know, affects your work-life balance. It affects your day-to-day -day for sure. Um, you know, kind of like our, our sports anchors here, I'm not at the point where I'm having kids, but, you know, being in a relationship, um, just trying to make that time and having that balance. Uh, my boyfriend also works in athletics. He's on the coaching side of things. And so, we actually started dating like right before the pandemic happened. So like we haven't really had like the experience yet of like, okay, you're with your team over here. I'm with my team over here, um, but we're getting closer to that. And so I think that, you know, one great thing about the pandemic as weird as that is to say is that I've learned a lot about work-life balance and, you know, and getting into a relationship makes you realize, hey, like, you know, there's, we need to make time for other things. And so, just if I can say one thing to anybody out there listening is that work-life balance is hard to do, but it makes all the difference if you can carve out time and say, hey, okay, this night we're going to have dinner together. Whether we're sitting on the couch <laughs> eating like something we microwaved or going out, whatever it is, like 
making that time for the people you care about, whether you're in a relationship or if you have kids or even just your, your family, calling a, your mom and dad or calling a friend, like it makes all the difference. Um, and working to foster those relationships is just trying to find time wherever you can. Natalie, take us back to six, seven years ago and tell us about your process. Mm -hmm. Well, I can definitely say this. I was a, I'm a single parent. I have a daughter. She'll be 12 in. Um, oh, I said six or seven years. I, she's in the sixth grade, correct? Yes, that's correct. That's correct. Forgive me. So it's okay. 12, 13 years ago. Yeah. Um, and um, when I was pregnant with her, I actually took a new job. And I was a single parent. And I saw that happening. And I did not tell the guy that was hiring me that I was pregnant because I was scared that he would not hire me. And that's real. Like um, I wasn't really showing, so they couldn't really tell. And I don't think that if I would have said, hey, I'm a single parent and I can do this job really well, that maybe they would have taken the risk. And I did well, we went to the NCAAs and, you know, but I think whenever they don't know what you're gonna do, they don't know what you're capable of. And, and so I didn't want to be prejudged due to that. And uh, because they want to hear that you are every, everything is about their job, you know? All in, all in. Yes, absolutely. And, and that is the way that you anticipate to do your job, but they don't know you. And so um, that was really scary. So having to go back and once I was hired, having to share that information was difficult for me because I believe in being honest and doing things being forthcoming. But there was such a fear of not getting an opportunity um, because of that. And um, luckily, I was surrounded by some really great people, some really great friends. My best friend, she actually um, lives with me and helps me care for my child. Um, it's like her nana, her nanny, her aunts. Um, and so I'm really grateful for that. But um, it is hard on relationships. Our jobs, if you really want to be great at what you do, I have so many friends who had to stop coaching because of supporting their um, significant other. Um, and it's just part of it. You know, if, if their boyfriend was, or their fiance or their husband was going to do something and he was gonna be the reason why they needed to move or he needed to stay there. And it has hindered some relationships I've been in. I dated a guy that was a dentist and um, we just had to stop seeing each other before it got too serious because he was had clientele and he saw himself being there building that and I didn't know where my job would take me. And so, and I feel like this is my this is my mission field. Like, this is what I'm going to do. Like, you know, if I'm not coaching eventually one day, I hope to work in higher ed in general, but I know that this was my purpose. Like, and so um, knowing that it has hindered many relationships, I'm not the greatest when it comes to that. So instead for the next five or so years while my daughter is still in school, um, I will remain focused on her and, and it's just, it's part of it. Like I got into it. And once I did that, um, I was married briefly, but we lived separately and it didn't work because he had a great job where he was, I was where I was. And, you know, and so yes, it can get in the way of, of being able to, for something to really work. You have to have somebody that can get up and move. If you're moving and you're going to go your route, then, um, there has to be a lot of support. So I'm not the best when it comes to relationships and things like that because I'm doing my thing um, and that's okay. So I just said now at this point, focus on my child and raising her and loving every moment of that. And, and honestly, you know, and you talked a little bit about the pandemic and 
all of that. I've gotten to spend more time with her than probably consecutive days um, than her entire life, basically. Um, sometimes I've gotten up and traveled four or five days out of the week and had to leave her at home. And I haven't been able to see some of her stuff, like her games and things like that. And um, right now I'm sort of helping coach her team because she's, you know, young enough and stuff like that. And so it's been a blessing, no doubt. Um, and luckily she understands my profession. She still thinks coaching is cool and um, she's VIP because she knows the coach and all that kind of stuff. But um, there is a lot of sacrifice, truly is. Um, just talking in general, just about how, how important it is that we do things in a certain way and is that having a child by, you know, a certain time for me, like, cause I'm functioning in my season. And so, um, but I had to induce labor for her. I induced her two weeks early um, to be able to have her early so that I could spend a month with her prior to going back to work um, and then turning around and getting on a plane two months when she was two months old. She literally slept through the night for the first time, just the one night prior to me getting on my first plane trip. And so, um, you just do what you have to do. Just carried her on a pack and took her with me. You remind me so much of my mom. Um, very uh, same. I probably could be your mom. Like, you know, this is terrible. I could be your mom probably. <laughs> but she, um, one of my favorite stories she's ever told me was how she's pregnant with my brother. Her water broke in the middle of one of her games. And she literally took a timeout, went to the bathroom, kind of changed her clothes, put her sweatpants on, came back, finished coaching the game, and then went home, showered, packed her bag, and was like, all right, Bobby, let's go to the hospital. And I just think women are so cool. Like hearing yeah. that story and then listening to how like you induced early to have a baby and put yeah. her on a plane when she's two months, like yeah. I'm not ready for that. What advice would you give to your younger self that my 11 year old daughter can hear when she listens to this? What I would tell my younger self, I think, is that it is cool to work hard like and have a passion and be nerdy about something i always felt like in high school and elementary school i mean i would practice volleyball five days a week and play on the weekend so and i would always kind of be like self-conscious and very almost insecure about it because everyone else is going to parties and i was like gotta go to practice at 8 8 <laughs> on friday night um and in hindsight like I wish I just embraced that and just was like comfortable with and confident knowing that like I was putting like my work towards a passion that has definitely been a huge part starting that young and developing who I am today and with that just workhorse mentality. And what advice would you give your younger self? Yeah, I would say pretty similar to that. I would tell my younger self to be confident. Um, I had a, a volleyball coach also when I was in high school um, who would make us sit down, we would visualize, we'd visualize playing our perfect game, making the perfect pass, getting a perfect kill. And at the end, she would tell us, you have everything you need to be successful. You've worked hard, you've earned this moment, and you have everything you need. And that's something that I remind myself of now, like you, you put in the work, you put in the time, and you belong where you are. I think a lot of young girls and women in sports have kind of like the imposter syndrome where you feel like, oh, you know, maybe I'm not qualified, but don't, don't <laughs> forget about that. You know, like you have earned every opportunity if you've worked hard and you deserve to be there and just be confident and bet on yourself. Um, Haley, what about you? 
I um, agree with both Cassie and Anne. I think the biggest thing that I struggled with sports aside was just being okay with who Haley was. I grew up, I'm biracial, so my dad's black, my mom's white. I grew up in a predominantly white town and it was so hard to figure out who I wanted to be. I was too white for the black girls, too black for the white girls. And I just never found that balance. So um, as I've grown up, I, you know, I've started wearing, not today because it was a mess, but I've started wearing my hair more curly lately. And um, sometimes I'll show up to places without makeup on. And so I think something I wish I could have told my younger self is that you're okay, be okay. Like Anne was saying, be okay with who you are. And I just wish that I could go back and hug that little girl and tell her that her curls are pretty and tell her that her skin is fine and that because she wanted to be a tomboy, it's okay to be a tomboy. Um, I just, that's my biggest message to younger girls is just embracing who you are and being okay with being whoever it is that you want to be. Because I think like Cassie was saying, you know, it's almost like you're self-conscious about who the things you like and, you know, the things that you want to accomplish in your life. So I just, I would love to go back and tell her that Haley Janae Sutton is perfect, however she is. And even growing forward, like I still have to tell myself that every day. Coach, I'm going to ask you a different question. So you're going to uh, be the one who takes us home here. And my question is, what's the biggest lesson, the best lesson you've learned throughout your experience working as a female in sports? Um, knowledge is power. Um, I really believe that. Um, I, you know, I've been coaching for a long time. I've, you know, I started in this profession as um, immediately when my career ended into coaching and then I was a head coach 25 and today is my birthday and I turned 45. And so, um, and so for me, I've been doing this for a long time and um, evolving. Um, you know, I think my best years have been whenever I have gotten out of my comfort zones, I've asked for help, I've asked, I've talked with other coaches about what they're doing, what's made them successful and um, just not being afraid to learn more um, and figure out what other people are doing to create success. And um, I've learned a lot and it's helped me in a lot of ways in my profession. And I've learned a lot from a lot of younger people and you have to be willing to do that because um, rather than just thinking your way is the only way. And so, uh, so yeah. So that's it. Coach Natalie Poole has the last word on her birthday. Thank you ladies so much for joining us for Ann out of Oklahoma, for Haley out of Montgomery, Alabama, Cassie from closer in Memphis. And as close as it gets, we're on the same campus. Head coach Natalie Poole. Thank you ladies for stopping by Jay's World. Thanks for listening to Jay's World Podcast. Jay's World is brought to you by 5G Media and Gilmore Financial Services. You can email the show and suggest topics for an upcoming episode. Email jay at j.gilmore at memphis.edu.